We're continuing our study in the book of Mark. We're down to the end. Let's get to Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 24. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. May the Lord add his blessing as the pastor continues to bring us his word this morning. Well, we come here in the Gospel of Mark to chapter 14, 22 and following. And what were the disciples doing with Jesus that Dan just read about? They were eating with Jesus. So we're going to have a sermon about eating. Good th I just thought just now, a good thing I did this on a potluck Sabbath, a fellowship lunch Sabbath. Otherwise you'd be hungry not only all during the sermon, but all the way home. But now you don't have to wait that long and we can talk about eating and it'll be okay. Well, do you like eating with people? Do you like eating with your family? Oh, do you like eating with friends? Yeah. Do you like eating even with coworkers sometimes? Sure. Eating is fun. But it also brings people closer together, doesn't it? There's something about enjoying a good meal together that even beyond the verbal communication, there's kind of a connection that's formed, isn't there? Well, do you, think, do you think Jesus liked to eat with people? Yes. In the Gospel of Luke, let me read to you from chapter 7, verse 34. It says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So here we know Jesus did eat with people, didn't he? More than what some of the conservative religious people thought he should. And he seemed to be enjoying himself because they called him a glutton and a wine bubber. They wouldn't say that if he was just eating a teeny little bit off of by himself, would they? So he was enjoying himself with people. And what else do we find out in that verse? Well, it says he, he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so when Jesus ate with people, it wasn't just his closest friends, the disciples. It wasn't just the, the honored people in society like the priests and the Pharisees. But he ate with regular people too, right? And even people with bad reputations. People that were scorned. People that were put on the edge of society. But Jesus, that didn't bother him. He would go right where they were and eat with them and enjoy it. And do you think the people enjoyed it when they were eating with Jesus? I think they must have, knowing Jesus the way we do from Scripture. Now, can you think of people that Jesus ate with? Well, in our lesson, our Bible study lesson earlier this morning, I found out something that I had missed of somebody that Jesus ate with before he came on earth. Who did he eat with in the lesson we had earlier today? What elders? There were 70 elders that Moses had set up among the people of Israel out in the wilderness. And they were at Mount Sinai and the Lord invited him to go up in the mountain. This is in Exodus, was it? 24 or 11, I think, or something like that. And in chapter 24 of Exodus, it says they went up in the mountain, and it says they saw God, and he didn't destroy them, but he, he ate and drank with them. Isn't that amazing? You don't think about at Mount Sinai, God eating and drinking with people. 
except maybe Moses. He, it seems like he was the one who was up there most of the time by himself. But the 70 elders plus Aaron and his two sons who were priests as well, they were all up there and enjoying a meal with the Lord. Isn't that something? But in the, his life on earth, can you think of somebody that he ate with? Who did he eat with? There was a certain man who came down out of a tree. Who was that? Zacchaeus. That's right, the little man who had to go up in the tree to see Jesus. And when Jesus came along, did Jesus ignore him? No, in fact, he called him by name. Do you know God knows each of us, our names? He knows us by name and he knows everything about us. And he knew about Zacchaeus and he knew Zacchaeus needed a friend. And so he said, Zacchaeus, come on down for I'm going to your house today. And did he go with Zacchaeus? And he went there and I'm sure they must have had a meal together. And they ate together. Why did Jesus go and eat with Zacchaeus? A lot of people didn't like Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And they thought he, Jesus shouldn't have anything to do with him, much less go to his house and eat. But Jesus did go and he ate with him. And why do you suppose he went there to eat with him? Well, Zacchaeus had just said, Lord, I'm, I'm so convinced of your goodness. I'm going to stop stealing from people. Was that a good thing? Yes, he was repenting, wasn't he? In fact, his repentance went further. He said, if I've stolen from somebody before, I'm going to give it back. And even not just a little bit, but four times as much as I stole. Wow. Well, that's according to the Old Testament scriptures. That's how they, they did it. If you stole something, you give back four times as much as you stole. And Zacchaeus was willing to do it. And then he said, and I'm going to give a whole bunch of money to the poor people too. He was really on fire, wasn't he? Then why did Jesus go and eat with him? Because he wanted to fan the fire in Zacchaeus' heart. The fire of love, the fire of devotion, the fire of repentance, the fire of belief. Wasn't that good of Jesus to do that? And then can you think of somebody else who ate with Jesus? Well, I'm thinking about a woman named Martha. Now, we don't think of Jesus as eating with Martha because the Bible emphasizes what about Martha? She was the cook. She was the, she was the one getting everything ready. She was in, busy. Get it, let's get it done. Let's do it right. Have everything ready. And Jesus had to kind of calm her down and say, now Mary, she's done a really good thing here by sitting at my feet. And the implication was, you ought to come and sit at my feet for a while too. Do we all need to sit at Jesus' feet? Every one of us, we all need Jesus. We can't go on with life just being busy. Got to sit at his feet sometimes. And so Jesus ate with Martha. I think he, I'm sure that he said, you know, Martha, now that everything's ready, let's just sit down and enjoy some time together. She needed that. We all do. And then someone else uh, Jesus ate with went to his house to eat with him because he was, had Jesus as the guest of honor, in fact. We just listened to him, listened to the story about him a few weeks ago. Who was that? Simon. Simon the Pharisee who had become a leper. and Jesus healed him. And Simon invited Jesus to his house. But was Simon pure of heart? No, he found out he wasn't pure of heart. Because when Mary started to anoint Jesus, Simon complained about it, didn't he? Inside he was saying, oh, Jesus shouldn't allow that. There was something, some things wrong with Simon that he hadn't been confessing. And Jesus knew about this, but did Jesus come to his house anyway? Did Jesus eat with him anyway? In fact, Jesus wanted an opportunity to reach Simon's heart. Being around a table is a good time to reach people's hearts. And Jesus did that. Plus, he wanted to provide an opportunity for Mary to anoint him, too. I mean, that was part of the picture. Jesus takes a lot of things into his pictures, doesn't he? When he's planning things, he's not just looking at one thing. He's looking at a bunch of things, how they can all fit together. The disciples were there, other people were there, and Jesus is looking at the whole thing. In your life, you may have some challenges 
and you're praying and God isn't answering your prayer exactly when you want, exactly how you want. Why is that? Well, some of the times it's because God's looking at the bigger picture and he doesn't want to just answer your prayer. He wants to answer the prayers of maybe half a dozen people at the same time. And so he's got to wait until he can pull it all together and then do the thing that will help everybody. Aren't you glad that's the way he is? Would you want all of God's blessings just for yourself and the people around you don't get any? Just so you can have it at your time in your way? How would you like that? I wouldn't like that. Looking back on it, I would say, oh, Lord, I, if you just did it for me, I've missed something here. I wish that you had taken into consideration everybody, but we'll never have to say that because God always takes into consideration everybody, and I'm glad he does. I'm glad that sometimes our, our uh, desires or even our needs God puts aside for a while. You know, I've been waiting a long time for this surgery. But it perhaps, God's not looking as much at me as he is at the surgeon. Maybe it's the surgeon who needs surgery more than I do. I'm talking about heart surgery. Maybe there's someone's eternal life in the balances according to the timing and God is delaying things and maybe there'll be another delay I hope not but <laughs> that would really complicate things but but uh, but perhaps I don't know but God knows and I trust him about it so please pray for the whole circumstance in regard to my situation that God won't leave anything undone even if it's difficult for me. Now, who else did Jesus eat with? Well, he ate with the disciples. Remember after the resurrection, he said, meet me where? Up at Galilee. And, they, and there on the shore one morning, they found Jesus. And what did he have ready for them? Breakfast! He had filet of fish sandwiches or something. And he was ready to go to eat with them. Why? Why did he do that? Did Jesus have to do that? He thought of it. He was thoughtful on his part because the disciples needed to know that they were restored. Had they messed up? Oh yeah, they messed up in the garden. They kept falling asleep instead of praying. They messed up when they all ran away and so on and so on. And Jesus knew that they would need confirmation from him that they were still his. And he provided that by eating with them. There's someone else that Jesus wants to eat with, but he hasn't yet. There's somebody that Jesus said, I want to eat with you, but I haven't yet. Turn with me to Revelation, if you would. Keep your place here in Mark because we're coming back. But we're going to see some parallels with Revelation chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Revelation. And we're going to look at verse 20 first of all. This is Jesus' letter to the last church, the church of Laodicea. And notice verse 20 uh, here in this chapter. Revelation 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. So this is a heart issue, isn't it? He's coming into us. I will come into him and dine with him. Or some say sup with him. Does anybody have a different version? Eat with him. Share a meal together. That's what we're talking about. I will share a meal together and he with me. So Jesus wants to eat with the people of Laodicea, but he hasn't yet because he's still standing knocking. Now, who is this church of Laodicea? Well, this is the church, this is the people, the time of history just before the coming of Jesus. So who is it? 
It's us. It's us. And there's something Jesus wants to share with us over a meal that he hasn't yet. Imagine that. So hold your place here because we're going to come back to it. And let's go over back to Mark chapter, e, uh, chapter 14. And, um, oh, well, let's see. No, let's stick, let's stick with Revelation for a few more verses. A few more verses in Revelation 3 before we go back. Now notice in verse 14 of chapter 3 in Revelation, verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now when you're eating a meal, do you want food that's lukewarm? Or would you prefer the hot food to be hot and the cold food to be cold? That's much better, isn't it? More appetizing. Jesus says, you have a problem because you're not hot or cold. Something wrong here. Well, let's find out. Verse 17, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So this is the big problem here. They don't know their true condition. So they're kind of hot on the outside. They look good. Maybe they go to church and read their Bibles. But on the inside, there's some problems about being wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. There's something missing on their experience on the inside. So what's the answer? What do we need? Well, verse 18 starts telling us about what we need that will help us out. He says, I counsel you to buy of me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Now that means spiritually rich. And the gold represents faith. Other places in the Bible it talks about uh, faith, that gold like faith and faith like gold. And this is a, a specially refined gold or refined faith. And then, it, and then it goes on and says, and white garments that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. So with it, earlier he said, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked spiritually naked, spiritually not having what you need to be clothed to appear before God. Well, what do we need? What kind of clothing do we need to appear before God? We need Jesus' clothing. Because can we make ourselves clean and nice all on our own with our own strength and power? We can't do it. We have to have Jesus on the inside. He is our righteousness, our white clothing. So this is talking about elements of the salvation experience, faith and the righteousness of Christ. And then one more thing, anoint, at the end of verse 18, it says, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Well, what, what is it the, that the eye salve represents that helps us to see? Well, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come and He will help you to see the things that you don't see yet. So this is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is needed as well. And Jesus talked about being baptized with the Spirit, anointed with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. So these are all elements of salvation. So what Jesus is saying is, you need a better experience of salvation. Other places he said, you have to eat my words. You have to eat my flesh. In other words, we have to eat Jesus. We have to consider Jesus. We have to chew on the beauty and the wonder and the truth about Jesus and take it in and appreciate and enjoy how wonderful Jesus is. And then that leads to repentance. And in fact, if you look still in Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to look at uh, verse 19, it says, as many as I love, so he loves us, even though we're a little mixed up here, we're missing some things. But he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So we repent. We repent by seeing the goodness of God first. And then that goodness leads us to let go of the things that aren't like God. Okay. We're going to see a little bit more about that. So still hold your place there. We're going to go back now to uh, chapter 14 of Mark. And we're going to pick up with verse 
uh, 26. Verse 26 we haven't read yet. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now imagine eating with Jesus and then doing what with Jesus? Singing with Jesus. Now, wouldn't that be something? What did his voice sound like? And what song did they sing? Probably one of the psalms, I imagine. Some of the psalms were traditional for singing at Passover time. And that's what this was. And so, he, but they were singing, certainly a song about whom? About God. And they usually sang about God's deliverance at the Passover time because that's what Passover was all about. Deliverance out of Egypt and slavery there. And so we can all identify with deliverance because we all are slaves of sin without Jesus. And Jesus delivers us from our slavery to sin. So they probably sang a song about that. And they sang with Jesus the truth of God. Oh, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Thirteen male voices. It must have sounded really good. Now verse 27, it says, And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That's that appointment we talked about, wasn't it? Where he had the breakfast with them. He said, I will go before you to Galilee. And uh, verse 29, But Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet will I, yet I will not be. I will not stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, that's talking about Peter, he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Wow, that's quite a discussion, isn't it? Jesus says, you're going to deny me. They said, oh no, no, never. Well, who knew themselves, who knew these disciples better, themselves or Jesus? Jesus did. Jesus knew themselves better. But Peter, Peter insisted, no, I couldn't. But Jesus knows better. Now Peter didn't listen. He didn't think he needed Jesus that much. Now think about that. I don't need you to tell me what's in my heart because I know what's in my heart and I will not deny you. I don't need this. That's basically what he was saying. Do we know how much we need Jesus? Do we? What did he say in that letter to Laodicea? You think one thing, but really it's not what you think. We think we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But Jesus says, really, on the inside, you're poor and naked and miserable and blind. Do we realize how much we need Jesus? That's a big question, isn't it? And one we need to think of over and over. Now Peter, because he didn't listen, because he wouldn't accept that he needed Jesus that much, when the hour of temptation came, what happened? He fell right into the temptation and denied Jesus. Now is there a time of temptation coming for the people of God before Jesus returns? Revelation talks a lot about it, doesn't it? And it's going to be a big one, isn't it? Are we ready? What does Jesus say? No, you're not. Wow. I mean, can somebody who's miserable and wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked, can they be ready? That doesn't sound ready to me. 
Are we willing to listen? To admit our great need of Jesus and go to Him and say, Lord, I don't see it. I don't see what you're saying. I don't see how I could be any more committed. I don't see how I could love you anymore. I don't see how I could be connected to you any more than I am. Oh, Lord, how could it be that I'm not ready for you to come or ready for the temptation trial that's coming? Would Jesus receive somebody who's coming to them like that? He would, wouldn't he? He certainly would. And that's why he's knocking at the door of our hearts. He's saying, let's take some time together. Let's really talk about the real things that I see. Let me help you understand how much you need me. But look at verse 28. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Another version says, I will go before you to Galilee to meet you there. I like that, to meet you there. What was Jesus saying? I haven't given up on you. Oh, you've made, you'll be making mistakes, you'll fall down, you'll deny me. But that's not going to change my love for you. And when you go up to Galilee, I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to meet you there. Why? Why does he want to meet them there? Well, to help them know that their, their, their connection is restored. They are still his disciples. They're still loved. And he's going to work with them. And do you know what happened? They got a second chance. They did. They got a second chance. And when did they, when did they take advantage of a second chance to stand for Jesus? Well, first, it was at Pentecost. Remember, there were 50 days from the death of Jesus up to Pentecost. And then at Pentecost, Jesus had already gone to heaven. And the disciples were here. And they, they had spent some time together in the upper room. And they confessed their sins. And they got everything right. And they, they really sought the Lord. Uh, and they wanted to know how they could be ready to, to stand for Him. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. And did they stand for Jesus? Oh, you read about there in Acts and they're powerful the way they stood for Jesus. Not just preaching, but going into places where, where they were persecuted and they stood strong and mighty. They took advantage of their second chance. And God worked miracles through them and all for His glory. Praise His name that He could transform those men into strong uh, true believers who would, be, who would stand though the heavens fall. But, now this is a big one. This is maybe the biggest but that you've heard. But Laodicea will not get a second chance. There will be no additional chances to stand true to get it right. Because the trial that Laodicea faces is the last one of earth. It, because when the second coming comes, will this world go on as it is? No. It says when Jesus comes, he comes with a rod of iron to smash the nations. And there won't be world as we know it now going on. There'll be no another opportunity. We read about it in Revelation 14. It talks about receiving the mark of the beast and having the, the results are terrible. It's one of the most dreaded warnings in the Bible. Now through history... People have always had extra chances. Most of the time, you know, Israel got into trouble because they started to get into idolatry and so on. And then they prayed to God. And what did he do? He would deliver them out of their troubles and get them back on track and everything would go nice. And then after a while, what would happen? They'd fall back into sin and idolatry. And then they'd cry out, Oh, Lord, our persecutors our enemies are persecuting us help us and then the lord would come and deliver them again and they would be faithful for a little while 
and it, but it didn't last too long. But they kept getting these extra chances. All through, not only in Bible times, but even after the Bible times, through the centuries of history. But we won't have that. That's not fair. No. Yes, it's not. But it has to be if Jesus is coming again. Because Jesus can't come at a time when people need another chance. You see? Because he would be cutting it off. There has to be one time, one generation of people who make their final choice all together at the same time. And then Jesus can come and there'll be nobody in an undecided position. And so there has to be a time when there's no another opportunity coming down the road. And that's why in Revelation 22 verse 11 it says, let him who is holy be holy still and let he who is sinful be sinful still. We could say, let he who is connected to the true God stay connected to him. And let those who have separated themselves from the true God, let them stay separate. But who will be able to stand on that day? Who will be able to face these last great, this last great conflict? Revelation 6 asks that question. And now let's go to Revelation 7 and we're going to see this because it's going to tie in with what happened to Jesus and the disciples at that last supper and that, that last evening together. Revelation 7 answers the question, who will be able to stand when Jesus comes? And we're going to look at verse 9 onward where it tells us the characteristics of these people. We're just going to go through this quickly. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations and tribes and tongues and peoples standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Or there's the first thing. Where are they standing? Before the throne. Why? Why are they standing before the throne? Now this is symbolic. So this is talking about in their faith experience with God. They're standing before the throne. They're still living on earth, but by faith they're standing before the throne. Why are they there? Because it's a throne of grace, Hebrew says. He says the throne is a throne of grace. Do these people need the grace of God? Yes! Because they're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And they can't get it right. They can't even see their needs. But they know enough to go where? To the throne. And there they're accepted and they're loved and they're cared for. And God can share with them in their right time what their needs are. And they can trust Him with this need and then later this need and this need and they can put all their needs before him. Sort of like that song that we sing at the end of our prayer time. I cast what? All my cares upon you. So these people have learned it. They're at the throne because they know it's a throne that they'll be accepted at. So they're at the throne, standing there before the throne. And before whom? What's the next part? The lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. And it's a he's symbolized as a lamb because he what? What, does, what happens to the lamb? The lamb is sacrificed, and Jesus was sacrificed for us. And so they're right next to Jesus because they need the salvation Jesus can provide. And they're clothed with what? With white robes. We talked about that already. The white robes is the righteousness of Christ. They're not coming to the throne saying, Oh God, we're wonderful people. No, they're coming saying, we're, Our faith is in Jesus. How wonderful He is. How righteous He is. And they have what in their hands? 
palm branches. That's a sign of victory. They've had victory over the devil and other things in their lives because they're trusting in Jesus. He is their deliverer. He's their savior. And what do they cry out in verse 10? Salvation belongs to whom? To our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're saying, we're in heaven. We're, we're, we're expecting heaven. We're, we're claiming a place in heaven. Not because of us, but because God is so good to be generous to give it to us, to provide it for us, to die for it for us. All the praise goes to Him. Salvation to Him. And then what else here? Wash their robes. And what next verse do I want? Well, I'm going down to verse 15. They, the angels respond in 11 and 12. Let's go down to 13. Then one of the elders answered, said, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, now this is verse 14, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? And they washed their robes and made them white in what? In the blood of the Lamb. So that's where the white robes came from, the blood of the Lamb. So in other words, by beholding Jesus as our sacrifice with His wonderful love that's so tremendously unselfish, they've been transformed through the work of the Holy Spirit to become like Him. Their robes are washed. They've been made like Jesus. They understand his great work. And so they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Now verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God. We already saw that, didn't we? That's mentioned again. And they serve him day and night where? In his temple. What is his temple all about? Why do they want to be in his temple? Because the Bible says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, the temple. That means the way of salvation. That means God's way of being gracious to people who don't deserve it. Instead of punishing us, He wants to hug us and heal us and change us, make us new. That's the temple. That's what the temple is all about. And these people have found it out. They have found that Jesus is there in the temple interceding to help us get close to our Heavenly Father. In this heavenly sanctuary, we're invited to come boldly to that throne of grace with great confidence that God would receive us and love us. And there he will also share with us the story. The story of his love that reached from the beginning of sin in heaven all the way to the end. Now we skip over to chapter 14 where we see these 144,000. Again, we pick up a couple more things there in the first five verses. Revelation 14, again, we'll do quickly here. It says in verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. The father's name written in their foreheads. His name is his character, his reputation. They've become like the Heavenly Father, because they've seen how wonderful the Father is. And by beholding, we become changed, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.18. And so they have the Father's name upon them, His character that's become part of them. And notice they sing a song. Verse 2 says, And I heard a song from heaven like the voice of many waters. I saw a voice from him and like the voice of loud thunder and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps and they sang as it were a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and the elders and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women for they are virgins. Now what's this not defiled with women? Well the women represent churches and this is a defiling woman or a defiling church that means defiling with wrong teachings. Teachings that are not according to the Bible. Teachings that skew the picture of God. Because every false teaching says something wrong about God and His character. And these people, though, are not defiled. They're spiritually virgins. In other words, they have 
gone through and searched the scriptures carefully so that they know the character of God all the way through this whole story that his character doesn't change. And they see that some of these teachings that are man-made ideas would change the picture of God. So they put the man-made ideas aside so they can have only what the Bible says. Does that make sense? And so they have this picture of God that's clear and beautiful. And the song of deliverance then is a deliverance from the wrong teachings. The things that would hold us into a picture of God and a relationship with Him that's not complete. And therefore not totally true. God wants things to be true and honest. Now, another thing here that's very important. So they're not defiled with women. And these are the ones who follow whom? The Lamb. Where? Wherever He goes. These are following Jesus wherever He goes. Now, where has Jesus been? Well, He originated where? In heaven. But did He come down to the earth for something special in the first few chapters of Genesis? He shaped what? He shaped Adam from the earth, right? And he breathed into him a breath of life. Whoa! And the Bible says it was Jesus who was there doing this. And he came down. And in Eden he gave life to Adam and life to Eve. And everything was beautiful. But trouble came into the world with sin. And God had to clarify things. And so he came down on Mount Sinai. To make everything clear, didn't he? And it, Moses and those 70 elders it was, as well went up and met with Jesus. And they had that meal together we talked about. That's mentioned in the Exodus chapter 24. And so Jesus was there. They follow. We follow. How did Jesus give the law? And that's an interesting thing to study there. But they follow him because Jesus also came down other times. But especially he came down to Bethlehem. And this time, not as the glorious God, but as the little baby. He took on humanity with us. And then he went to the Jordan to get baptized. And then he went to the wilderness to overcome the devil. And then he went to Galilee to teach and to preach and to heal. And he went to Jerusalem to be crucified. And these people follow Jesus to the cross and they see the Jesus as the Lamb of God dying for them. But was that the end of the story? Did Jesus stay in the tomb? No, he rose again and he ascended. And where did he go to when he ascended into heaven? To the right hand of the Father, right? And to make intercession for us. And they follow Jesus into the glorious places of heaven. The holy place. And then later the most holy place. And they see Jesus doing his wonderful work of intercession and drawing us to the Father to understand the beauty of our Father in all that he does, even in judgment. We could even say, especially in judgment. And then beyond that, we follow Jesus to the second coming when he comes to get us, and then through the thousand years, and then at the end of the thousand years, the final judgment on sin, when sin is destroyed completely. And how does a God of love do that? And they watch and they see and they behold and they praise him for the beauty of even his destruction of sin. And so what does the Bible say about these people here? There's a little bit, more, one, two more things here. It says, they follow him wherever he goes. We're in Revelation 14, verse 4. It says, these are redeemed from among men. In other words, they're bought out of this problem of sin in this world to know God as he really is. And it says, and they're being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. The first fruits were the first things of grain or other crops to ripen so they could be harvested. These people ripen. They are mature in their relationship with God because this is a group who see the whole story of what God has done with this problem of sin in the universe. And they see the beauty of His character at every stage and every step and all that He's done. And so they have this ripened experience, this no deceit in their mouth we're going to see in a moment. 
Now others will ripen during the thousand years. The Bible talks about the, the uh, opening up of the, the story to people during the thousand years. People who died and they only got part of the story because a lot of people died before the Bible was completed. They didn't get the whole story. But during the thousand years they will. And then they will ripen. They will see how good God is from the beginning all the way to the end. Because they'll get the whole story. And then it says there that there's no deceit found in their mouths. Meaning no false concepts of God to blur the picture of God and prevent them from becoming just like Him. Because if we're looking at the wrong picture, can we become like the true picture if we're looking at the wrong picture? That doesn't work that way. We have to have the right picture. And Revelation 15 just says that they'll be victorious over everything that Satan throws at them. They will triumph as Jesus did. Now, how did Jesus triumph? He knew the Father. He knew the Father. It was connected to him moment by moment. Jesus knew that he could trust the Father even in the darkest hour, even at the cross. And he knew the Father just as we can. You see, we can get alone with the Father as Jesus did. We can look upon him till we see his beauty and then we can stop to smell the roses, so to speak. We can notice how great he is and offer up words of praise to him. And then share what we've learned with others. So, let's wrap this up. The disciples ate with Jesus. Did he have important things to talk to them about? Oh, yes. Even about how the hour of trial was coming and some would deny him. But they would have another chance. And they would meet up at Galilee. Those were important things, weren't they? And Jesus wants to sup with us today. He wants us to take some time with him because he has some important things to talk to us about. And he wants us to understand so that we can be prepared. He wants us to see the beauty of God so that we won't settle for a false or an incomplete picture of God. Because we have to be ready the first time. There won't be another time. But He'll prepare us. Getting alone with Him, He'll take care of us. Just like the disciples in the upper room before Pentecost. You see, it's supper time. And God wants to have supper with you. He wants to enjoy you. He wants you to join him because he has so much to share. You see, he wants to tell you a story. The most wonderful story that's ever been told. And it's all about him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, the more we hear of this story, the story of the Scriptures, the story that Jesus unfolded so beautifully when he was here on earth, and he said that there would be more to it that he hadn't yet shared with the disciples. Well, Father, we want to know more of the story. We feel like little children who we've heard part of the story, but oh, please, read us more of the story, Father. Tell us more. Tell us right to the end that we might see you as you are and love you and adore you and stand for you though the heavens fall. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn to our closing hymn, number 462. 462, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Let's stand together as we sing.
to him who can keep you from falling and bring you safe to his glorious presence, innocent and happy, to God, the only God, who saves us through Jesus Christ our Lord, be the glory, majesty, authority, and power which he had before time began, now and forever. Amen.